Okay, so believe it or not, it's only day one and we've learned a whole bunch of stuff so far. We've learned that folklore doesn't have to be just what the illiterate peasants do. It's not just false beliefs or backward, quaint, old-fashioned stories that are dying out. But rather, it's all kinds of informal, unofficial, and non-commercial culture that every single person on the planet possesses. It's passed on virally from person to person, and it passes on especially when active bearers from different communities, regions, or places meet each other and share their lore. And we've also learned that folklore persists, it keeps on going, because of two factors. One, tradition, where the same item, belief, or practice is used again and again over time by social groups. And two, resonance, which is what happens when people hear or see something they like and they do it as well, so that the item of folklore spreads across space. So now that we've gone this far, there's only one kind of question that's left uh, before we wrap all this up. How do you know if something is folklore or if it isn't folklore? Here's our litmus test, so get ready. Folklore is any traditional cultural item or practice that exhibits the following two criteria. It has multiple existence and variation. By multiple existence, what I mean is that if it's folklore, then more than one person should know the item. And it shouldn't be that this one person just directly learned it from the other person. And also, each individual instance of these would be called a version. So, for example, if I know that crossing my fingers is good luck, and you know that crossing your fingers is good luck, but you didn't learn it from me or from my friend Bobby Penny in fourth grade in West Lafayette, Indiana, then what we have here is a case of multiple existence between us. Right? There are two different versions of this folk belief or superstition in crossing your fingers for good luck. The other criteria is called variation. And by this I mean that an item can be considered folklore if it, it exhibits change meaning you should be able to find at least two significantly different versions of that item, whether in terms of the form of the item or the meaning. Each significantly different version is called a variant. Now, whether or not two versions are significantly different is, of course, a subjective thing, and you can argue about it. Uh, but for the most part, it kind of becomes intuitively obvious, uh, and we can talk more about it if you like. It's always a perennial debate. Let's see if we can come up with some good examples as a group. For now, though, we can kind of take these two criteria as a litmus test when you're out hunting for folklore. Someone tells you a joke. Is it folklore? Well, it could be. Do other people know this joke, or is it just a unique thing that your friend kind of made up on the spot? Are there variant forms of jo this joke that are told by other people besides your friend? If so, then there's a pretty good chance that it's a traditional joke, it's a part of folklore. So now that we've arrived at a definition and a litmus test of folklore, let's talk about what would fail our litmus test. What kind of culture out there is not folklore? You can think of culture, again, as having three different flavors, folklore, pop culture or mass culture, and elite or high or classical culture. These aren't fully distinct, but in fact, they overlap and blend with each other. Uh, you can, can think, think of them in a kind of th as three overlapping circles, uh, Venn diagrams. <clears throat> 
Now, what distinguishes these from each other? Here's a quick rundown of some of the features that separate folklore from pop or pop culture and elite culture. And it's, I find it fascinating. I'm sure we can have a lot of good time discussing these things in person. Um, I've also given you a few key examples on, on this diagram that you can think of from each cultural sphere that might help you in differentiating them. Uh, if you can understand it, you've understood basically like 90% of folklore studies. Good job. You're well on your way to getting an A in the class and in life. So congratulations in advance. But first, as we've been talking about, folklore is culture that spreads horizontally from person to person through informal and traditional means. It's often anonymous, meaning that you don't always, you don't usually know the original creator of the item. Uh, it's usually performed informally uh, in kind of everyday life, in ordinary settings. Uh, and maybe most striking of all, it's usually free. No one charges you when they tell you a joke or for a folk recipe or an item of slang. Uh, the key litmus test that we just said is that folklore exhibits both multiple existence and variation. Here's some items to keep in mind as kind of like bona fide items of folklore. A folk tale, a proverb, an internet meme, a folk recipe, an item of slang, etc., etc. Now, what about high culture or elite culture? It's also called classical culture. Uh, some examples are the Mona Lisa, a Mozart concerto, maybe a courtly poem from ancient India written in Sanskrit, maybe a gourmet Japanese restaurant uh, where you have to like book reservations like two years in advance just to get in get a table. In all of these cases, there's an emphasis that's placed on master creators, virtuoso performers. When you're looking at the Mona Lisa, you're looking at Da Vinci's genius, right? When you watch the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra performing, you're watching virtuoso performers, not just ordinary fiddlers. When you eat at Tojo's Sushi or whatever, you're experiencing the cooking of a master chef, or you're supposed to. Just like the creators and performers of elite culture have to be highly trained, um, the, things, the, the items themselves are also not really open to everyone from all walks of life. Usually you have to get some kind of training or education to appreciate classical music or art, uh, to taste the nuances of a fine wine, to understand an intricate courtly poem. These are one-of-a-kind, high-priced high masterpieces at least until recently, the idea was that they were intentionally closed off, accessible only to the most learned, sophisticated, elite segment of society. Now, as far as our litmus test is concerned, the interesting thing is that we can say that there's no multiple existence and no variation for elite culture. When you're looking at the Mona Lisa in the Louvre, you're looking at the Mona Lisa. Otherwise, it's a forgery or a fraud or a cheap copy or an imitation, right? If you're listening to a piece of classical music, even if it's played by many different orchestras in many different cities and over time and so on, the idea is that they're all reproductions of the same single original which Mozart or Beethoven or Bach or whoever had composed. You don't usually do that with like a nursery rhyme or campfire songs or like TikTok songs or whatever. So now, now for, for thousands of years, there were basically these two different kinds of culture, folklore, and elite culture. Then, around the 19th century, a new kind of culture was born, 
based on the advent of modern mass printing technology, then eventually radio, TV, digital recording, the internet, and other new media. This new culture is pop culture, popular culture. It's also called mass culture sometimes because it, it's targeting the masses, the same groups that before had just folklore. Some of the examples you can keep in mind, an episode of The Simpsons or a reality show or any of your favorite TV shows, a Hollywood film, Iron Man, I don't know, uh, the latest music by Kanye West, Beyonce, McDonald's, any other kind of fast food uh, chain. These are all examples of pop or mass culture. It's different from folklore in that it's produced for commercial reasons, to sell, uh, to sell these products and to make a profit. It's done nowadays by large companies, corporations who go to great lengths to protect their intellectual property, their trademarks, to sue ordinary people for lots of money if they copyright or reproduce the songs or videos or logos even. Um, Because the goal of pop culture is to make as much money as you can, the target audiences for pop culture are usually the greatest possible set of consumers who don't need any special training to appreciate this culture. There can be, of course, more niche markets in pop culture that uh, some companies like comic book companies, for example, or electronic music record labels, they might target more niche audiences. But for the most part, pop culture companies, they want to reach anyone they can with the internet, anyone who has a TV or a smartphone, who buys magazines or goes to the movies and so on. Because because of this mass distribution, pop culture has multiple existence. It exists in lots of different places, but with no variation. You can find the latest hit track by The Weeknd anywhere in the world, but it's going to be exactly the same, the same song, right? The same lyric, the same sound, exactly produced wherever you hear it. You can watch the same Family Guy episode anywhere in the world. It's going to be the same. You can go to a McDonald's in anywhere in the world and basically find the same kind of burgers on the menu. There's going to be, of course, regional differences and so on, but they're still mass-produced. The large point is that pop culture is spread to mass audiences from a single point of origin, whereas folklore spreads from person to person to person. So there you go. That's a basic rundown of what folklore is, what folklore is not. Uh, Keep in mind, again, that there's these three different domains of culture, folklore, pop culture, elite culture, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. There's plenty of examples of things that fall in the gray zones in between that are both pop and folk, both elite and folk, maybe even all three. And we can talk more about examples like this in the future. Uh, Finally, as you might be able to guess, the biggest kind of rivalries uh, is between folklore and the world of pop culture. In fact, in many cases, uh, the... (coughs) our world is like totally inundated with pop culture, we can start to think of folklore as being hybridized with pop culture. You can't really survive without the other. Uh, We'll talk about a bit more about this hybridity uh, in our kind of third week in this super fast journey through folklore studies. So now that we've learned what folklore is and is not, I'll let you have a minute to go and catch your breath, go chat with your family and friends, Get to like looking around your world for folklore, see what you can find, use that litmus test. Next time in our journey to become budding young folklorists, we're going to start about talking about what folklorists should do once they get their folklore. How do you study it once you've collected it? So thanks for listening and see you next time.